Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style and powerography would like to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners quartz and canary jewelry and wellness company use code empower 15 to receive 15 percent off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com quartz and canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Tamara Romeo. She is the owner, founder of San Diego Office Design. How are you doing today, Tamara? I'm doing excellent. Thank you for asking. Excellent. I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm grateful and appreciative. I'm really looking forward to jumping in and learning a bit more about who you are and what you do and sharing that with the audience. So thank you for making the time and taking the time to be here today. I appreciate you. So Tamara, as I mentioned, you're the owner and founder of San Diego Office Designs, and you're also known as the design boss. I have to ask, how did you get that title and who gave it to you? (laughs) Well, that title came about because As an entrepreneur, I am extremely entrepreneurial and I'm always thinking of new ways to either share knowledge or help others or expand my business. And so I created a new stream for my business, which was originally called Design Boss Online. And it was going to be an educational platform to help other designers. I still have that Facebook, free Facebook group that I help with that name. But Design Boss stuck to me and and people just picked it up and started calling me Design Boss. And then I figured, hey, you know, I'm going to go with this flow. It's easy to remember. It is what I am. And (laughs) so once I embraced it, it just stuck like glue. And so now I'm I'm loving it. I, I love it, too. I think it's great. It's powerful and it speaks to who you are and what you do. It's perfect. A perfect fit. Thank you. How long have you worked in the interior design world? So this is actually my second career. I started 12 years ago and it was a very unusual entree into interior design, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But the career before this one actually gave me some real wings to um, success Mm -hmm. here in this that most design owners don't have. And that's really how I differentiate myself. So Uh, I'll fill you in as we go along. There we go. Perfect. So perfect segue. What were you doing before? What was the career that gave you the wings to lead into this world that you're in now? So I was in advertising and I was a branding specialist for a print magazine. And really my specialty was talking to business owners from all segments, whether it was a car dealership, or a dentist office, or, you know, a clothing manufacturer, and trying to help them come up with ways to market their business, draw people in the door, and then communicate what made them different or unique once their customers were there. And so I had 15 years of experience in doing that. And what it taught me was that across almost every segment, most businesses are good at talking about what they do well, 
but they really <laughs> sucked to put it, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Really shit at. <laughs> at carrying that brand statement visually into their space okay. so that when clients or whoever they're, whatever they called the people that they did business yeah. with showed up at their space, it just fell flat. And right. there was nothing to engage them within their space or to make them feel special or unique or anything about the brand and the culture of the company. And I thought I could do that differently. And so this was before the world of cool Google and Facebook offices. Yeah. That hadn't really been a thing yet. It was 2010. And so I started with the idea. And right then is when Google and Facebook started to take <laughs> off with their cool office idea. Yeah. And so my business took took off along with it, which was really nice. Amazing. So that experience really helped you for sure. Gave you the, as you said, I love that analogy you used. It gave you the wings yeah. to get to get it, this off the ground. It's amazing. So what was the catalyst then for the change in career and why? Well, uh, as you know, in 2008, we had this giant downturn in the economy and print advertising was starting to die as internet advertising was taking off. And so I, I felt like I had had the best of the best careers and I had already made it to the top of that particular field and it was going to take a downturn. And I had the, the lovely opportunity to actually take two years off of work completely and oh, just wow. try to figure out what I wanted to do next. And so I actually took a lot of time to explore hobbies, to like do things I never had time to do when I yeah. was working. And that's how the brainchild for this business came about. Amazing. Now, did you start out your career working like in interior design? Did you start working at an, in, at an interior design firm or did you jump right into starting your own firm? Yeah, you know what? I actually started a little company that wasn't interior design focused. Okay. It was a feng shui business, which okay. is all about creating a balanced environment and that makes you feel good and function well. And when I did that, I realized uh, it's not business oriented enough. Right. I actually want to use my skill set from my last career and blend it with okay. this. And once I realized that, then I reached out to a friend of a friend who owned a contracting and commercial design business. And I offered to work for free just to be his girl Friday so that yeah. he would let me learn as much as I could on the job because I'm an on the job learner. Yeah. And so I actually volunteered my time for an entire year, wow. followed him around and worked on whatever he needed me to work on, yeah. um, was in the field when he was hammering nails and doing demo. And I learned the business from the inside out. There really is no substitute in my opinion anyways, for learning hands-on. You can read about it in books, magazines, but it doesn't even come close or compare to the hands-on experience. Nothing beats I that. I agree a hundred percent. I actually covered both sides of that equation though, because I have a college degree. I'm a proponent of education. Mm -hmm. So I actually went to my alma mater, which was San Diego state. Okay. And I ordered every single book in the interior design curriculum <laughs> and had it sent to my house. So I spent wow. like $2,500 on textbooks. And I did read a lot, but because it's technical, this business, I needed to know some of the technical right. things. 
But you're right. What I learned in the field just made me such a better business owner. Yeah, for sure. Now, your firm is commercial interior design, but do you do residential as well, or is it strictly commercial? We've had to reinvent ourselves a bit. Some of that is because of the change in the office environment today. Yeah. We're still busy with offices, by the way. So it's not like what you hear in the media that offices are dead. I would say absolutely not based on my everyday experience. Right. However, I have had a ton of clients who've been so thrilled with the experience of working with us that they constantly ask me, hey, could you do my condo complex? Or hey, could you do my home. And I used to say no (laughs) and refer the business to somebody else because I wanted to stay very true to my swim lane. Right. However, I have now several team members that I work with and their experience is very broad when it comes. Yes, we do commercial. Yes, we specialize in office, but I also have team members that have architecture and luxury residential design backgrounds. So it allowed me to expand my offering, which we now have great. That's a huge help for the business. Commercial, multifamily and residential. Oh, that's great. That's amazing. So what was the inspiration then to get into specifically commercial interior design for you? For me, that was a natural fit because I was so used to talking to business owners from my previous career and I understood the need. I saw that there was an opportunity that wasn't being filled, at least not in San Diego. Yeah. And I thought that I had enough of the magic sauce from my branding life and my advertising life that I could do something really unique in this niche. And so to me, there was a comfort factor and a knowledge factor that both played a part in that. And, and I have to be honest that they are very, very different, you know, commercial and residential, the processes are different. Oh yeah. The way clients value your time and your expertise and what you do and how you have to do it. It's all different. So I'm glad I now have the experience of both, but commercial was a natural fit commercial office business was a natural fit. That's like having to put on different hats, right? Because they're so different. Yes, it is. And, you know, it took me 10 years of doing commercial office Mm -hmm. and commercial. And then I started branch out into like places of worship and event centers and things that weren't just office. And we started to have a lot of success in those areas too. And so, you know, as you have successes, your confidence grows and because we've done spaces that are, you know, up to 60,000 square feet, they're like huge campuses. Wow. I felt that, hey, if I can do that, I can do anybody's house. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, <laughs> that's easy peasy compared yeah. to what we do. And so I have to say, it's not easy. I, I, it's all got its own expertise and its own little nuances, but I'm glad I, I now do both. Yeah, they all come with their own set of challenges, right? For sure. Yeah. So speaking of challenges, what has been one of your most challenging designs that you've had to work on? And why was that so challenging for you? Well, I think I'm going to give you two. Sure. The first one, we were approached by Sotheby's, which is a luxury real estate arm of the Sotheby's Uh auction house that so many people are familiar with. And they wanted to do a national headquarters in La Jolla 
okay. in San Diego. And the space that they were taking over was an old Victoria's Secret. And so it had a lot of weird challenges because it was a super deep, dark space with no windows anywhere but right in the front. And it also had a really bizarre sort of bi-level interior because there was a parking garage underneath. And so what we ended up doing was making this beautiful space, which is a showpiece now in La Jolla. And we took the really challenging area, which was above the garage, which we thought the client thought nobody's going to want to work in that space because it was going to have low ceilings. It was going to be enclosed. And we actually turned that into the high roller space, like where all the really prominent agents want to work. And it, it took off. It worked. It was just a matter of designing it correctly with the right elements to really make it pop. And so that kind of working around a problem really helped with that client. And now they asked us to do six following offices after that. That's awesome. (laughs) So that was a big win. Yeah. And then the second one I'll mention is we had a car dealership for a fairly prominent family here in San Diego. Their name is Mossy. So they have like 14 different kinds of car brands that they sell in the San Diego area. And they wanted to do a millennial friendly coffee shop slash sports bar vibe for their car dealership. And it was a totally new out of the box kind of idea. And I loved it. I thought it was great. And so they brought us into this very vanilla space and said, okay, now what? And work your magic, do your thing. (laughs) And so we were able to do just a really cool, interesting, unusual design that included roll-up garage style doors that really invite people in and the salespeople out. So there's no like wall, it feels very open. And we did a wall with their logo made out of moss to play off of their Uh, name. There we go. So yeah, that one is, is, uh, I thought a feather in our cap because it was so unusual. Sounds incredible. Where do you pull your inspiration from when you decide to take on a design project, Tamara? Well, we talk a lot to the client, figure Mm -hmm. out what their vision and mission is to really take a deep dive into why did they even start this business and what makes them unique. And and that's where my branding expertise comes in, where I'm learning a lot about their story. And then whatever they tell me, we use as a jumping off point. So sometimes they give me really great information to work with and our design will be somewhat parallel to what they say, you know. You know, they, they kind of have an idea of what they want, or they've gone through a whole branding exercise, so they already have a look, and we're just right. brought in to, to expedite it and to elevate it, right? Okay. That's the way I would I would yeah. say those clients work. And then I have some clients that are like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do, you know? Like, or, like Mossy, who <laughs> said basically, uh, right. what? What now? <laughs> or they're so used to seeing their space the same old way. Yeah. They can't think outside of that box. Right. And so because I've done hundreds of offices and I've seen offices and hospitality spaces and hotels all around the world, I collect ideas as yeah. I'm as I'm out and about 
right. can't help myself, right? It's, <laughs> and well, it's who you are. <laughs> and so usually I'll instantly have ideas when I start talking to someone like, oh, I'd love to show them this and that. And so we always come up with options to talk to our clients about and we'll take them down a plan A and a plan B. So they can see like two elements or two totally different types of design. And right. then they get to feel like they're making choices along the way. Right. It's not just Cameron or team telling them what to do, but we make sure that both of the choices are great. So there's no yeah. losing. Yeah. The- and it becomes really fun and collaborative. So this is a great segue that I'm curious. You had mentioned that you take the client's input, but how much weight do the client's ideas, thoughts, input really carry for a project when you work with them? And have you ever had to completely disregard what they say because their ideas are just fucking terrible and they just won't work? Like, has that ever happened to you? And how did you handle it if it has? So let's see, that's, that's kind of a tricky question. I'm going to see how, how kindly I can answer this. <laughs> we always take our clients' information, expectations, and vision into account. However, we are the experts. Yes. And so I, I try to honor their requests and their requirements and their budget. But I also want to show them opportunities to amplify their design, to take advantage of things they may have never seen or heard about, to solve problems that they have had in their space, but they just feel like there's that's just how it is. So for me, that's really where our expertise comes into play because yeah. we're not order takers. We're designers yeah. and it's our job to share ways to really make the most of a space. Right. Have I had clients not understand (laughs) the value of our suggestions. Yes, I have. And I've also had them be very hard line on a budget and only want to do certain things. Right. And at some point I just have to say, okay, this is their project, not mine. And we are going to get them to the finish line as best we can and um, make them as happy as possible with what they want. I, I still can't help myself in like <laughs> offering suggestions along the way. But if I keep getting received with a closed ear, then we just do our job and we thank them for the business. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You say you've designed some of the most memorable, memorable spaces around town. What has been one of, if not the most memorable or favorite jobs for you that you've worked on? Well, I gave you two of my interesting ones, but I will say we did a job for a very high profile marketing guru named Billy Jean is marketing. He's really hot on Facebook with Facebook ad training. He has a huge personality. Like what you see on Facebook is what you get. And if you, if you ever saw him, you'd be like, you either love him or you're like, whoa, that guy, too much. <laughs> that guy's too much. <laughs> and I actually reached out to him because I was listening to one of his marketing, I don't know, classes. Yep. And he had said something about expanding his business and his vision. And I thought, oh, I can help him. So he didn't hire me for his first office design, okay. but he came back to me when he really wanted to do something big. And what he wanted to do was take a typical downtown office space that was maybe 3,000, 4,000 square feet. And he wanted to add two more suites onto it to make it like eight to 10, 12,000 square feet and add a theater and event space, a VIP lounge. He wanted to make it Las Vegas. Yeah. Like 
style. <laughs> and so I loved it. I was like, I'm all over this. This is yeah. so unusual and fun. And so it turned out to be an amazing project because we got to really play with things we don't normally do. Building right. an underlit stage like Las Vegas was so great. And, you know, creating a, we created a hidden swag room where he did a fist bump in order to open the door. And then it was filled <laughs> with all these giveaways for his clients. Wow. So that part was really, really fun. And, yeah. and he had a strong vision about what he wanted. And we just, that was one where we just helped him to execute and get it all the way to the finish line. Sounds incredible. Sounds larger than life like him. <laughs> Can you briefly walk us through your process for working with clients from the time they contact you to when you finish a project? So in general, we are what I call white glove, full service interior design, okay. meaning that a client would call me from the day they sign a lease or yep. the day they sign, or even before they yeah. finalize their paperwork on their new office, new home, new apartment building, whatever it is they're needing help with. And, and so we start all of the discovery of who is this person and how can we help them? And then we t- take them all the way through from conceptual design, like what can the space look like? What will it feel like? We do beautiful 3D renderings and virtual fly-throughs to help people really understand what their spaces can look like. And then we take them into the next phase, which is all the technical part of design. That's where we do all of the documents and the plans sets that the city needs and that the general contractor needs. And we have the ability to do those architectural plans within my office. And we build a budget for furniture, fixtures, design, artwork, everything. And we also function as a dealership for furniture and artwork. And oh, everything. okay. So the client never has to leave us. We bring everything to the client. Full service. Yeah. That's and amazing. Then, and then once we present the budget and they approve or we have to do some edits, we go through that. Then it's time to actually manage the order and expediting, which is a much bigger part of the process than people right. understand. Because it's not like receiving a shipment of a you know bookshelf at home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it has to go through a whole process of a warehouse and a receiver and yeah. scheduling to be installed. So unlike the HGTV style where they start a project and it's done in a week, you know we start something and it can be six nine months a year, right. um, sometimes even more until yeah. we're fit with the project. Wow. What do you consider more important between aesthetics and functionality? There's no such thing. No? Okay. <laughs> Nothing is more important than the other. They, they work in congruency with one okay. another and they both have to be there. So if a space isn't put together aesthetically well, yeah. even though it's functional, it'll just fall flat and be right. boring and will never help to attract and retain great staff or to work as a brand ambassador for your culture. So aesthetics there is very important. But then if we do all aesthetics and we don't pay attention to, okay, what are the noise problems in this space or, you know, any kind of issue that they might have, then functionally it's going to fall flat, which would never work. So, So both are equally important. Okay. What would you say is your greatest strength as an interior designer? Well, I am actually a much better leader now than I have been. 
when I started the company, I think I was more of a manager. I was trying okay. to keep my hands in everything, yeah. do a little bit of everything. And I actually needed to do that in order to understand the entire process of this business and how to grow the business. But today I have really strong, capable, talented team members, and I hire to help them be as successful as they can be. Right. And so my job is really to give them the tools to do their job and then let them do it. And then yeah. just make sure that the clients and the designers and the budget are all staying intact. And really, I fly at the 10,000 foot level and just hold everything together while the designers on the team do all of the very detailed technical work. Do you give any input on the design, the actual design part of the jobs or all like, are you very hands on with that piece of it? I'm constantly hands-on. I can't yeah. help myself. Because <laughs> I love it. And that's sometimes a challenge, right? Because right. I have a particular viewpoint. Uh-huh. And so sometimes it's my job to say what I think and then to yeah. back off right. and see how the designers develop it. And then to give my feedback and guidance. And if I see them going off the rails, I will certainly bring it back <laughs> and manage it. But th- that just doesn't happen anymore. We're yeah. so through it now yeah. that we really speak the same design style. But because we each have our own talents, we're able to do things differently than say right. I have one designer that's spectacularly talented with the 3D rendering, the virtual right. design part. Yeah, And so I just give her feedback and tweak things and make sure that the presentation is the way that I want to present to the clients, because usually I'm the one at the table. I speak a lot to the clients right. or I sit back and make sure the designers are saying what they need to say. And then I yeah. tie it up with a pretty bow. Right. right. How hard has that been for you? Because as you said, you started out managing and wanting your hands and everything. So how hard has that been for you to personally step back and kind of relinquish control. I mean, this is your baby. This is your company. So how hard has that been for you to do that? You know what? That's a great question. And I think that just comes with confidence in the people that I've hired and time in the saddle of knowing what I can give away confidently, but being there to reel it in if I need to. The more freedom I give my team, the more they succeed. Right. And so I have seen by proof that it's okay to trust and to let them manage a large portion of their projects as long as I'm always there to answer questions and give guidance. And truly, that's what a leader should be doing. And it allows me to do other things that I feel are so important, like talk to you and develop (laughs) collaborative partnerships and, you know, do things that really help the business move forward. It can help the projects move forward. Absolutely. That makes complete sense. What is the most challenging aspect of being an interior designer, would you say? One of the most challenging. Well, we're always a team with other companies that are present in order to pull the project together. So we could be working with the city. We could be working with other architectural firms, general contractors, engineers. And so there's a lot of people in the mix that I'm not in control of. So I have to make sure that our processes are clear and our communication is very, very clear and that we're always giving more information than what is needed to make sure that we 
we do something here in my office, which I think is so important. It's called CYA. Okay. And it's called cover your ass. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It means that we over communicate. We give a lot of details and we make sure that everything is very, very clear to be a good partner to our collaborators. Makes sense. I mean, yeah, you do, you have to cover your ass dealing with so many different moving parts in a project. Like that's huge. And communication is absolutely key. Communication and good record keeping because there could be finger pointing issues. And and so by being a a very diligent record keeper and Mm. having really good project management tools that solves a lot of that problem. Yeah, for sure. In your opinion, what is one of the most important skill sets that an interior designer must possess? Oh boy, I would say listening is really, really key because as we just talked about, there can be many players at the table Yeah, and we're all wanting to move the project forward in a successful way, but we all have different agendas and schedules. And so I have learned that it's not just my way or the highway at the table, as much as I like to run projects. Sometimes my role is to support the others around the table and to make them feel as successful as they can be yeah. because I want them to refer me back for more jobs later, right? right I don't I don't only want this job to be successful. I want to make sure that they feel that they're supported along the way too. Yeah. So I think listening and being able to take a step back and let others lead where it's necessary and and then support is really, really vital. Now, you're also quite involved in charitable and philanthropic work. Can you speak a little bit about that and some of the organizations and work you do and the importance of this work for you personally? That's my give back, and it's definitely close to my heart. I think, you know, I'm a second-generation San Diego native, so I have deep roots here in the community, and I have very long and enduring friendships, and I feel that my industry in general is very female focused and my staff at this moment happens to be all female, although it's not always that way, but I think that's awesome though. I think it's great. So most of the charities that I'm involved with actually have to do with supporting women and families and usually those that are in crisis and need some help. So we have a business that or a charity that we support called Homestart, which is helping very young displaced mothers and children find homes, find work, get educated. And often we donate furniture and other um, help, design help in order to make sure that they feel comfortable during their transitions. And then another charity that I feel close to is um, Center for Community Solutions, which is a very ambiguous name for a reason. It helps women who are also in very difficult kind of crisis. And that usually has to do with physical or sexual harm. And they're trying to move in a better direction as well. So both of those are kind of difficult charities to talk about because it's not like, oh, it's kids at the Rady's Hospital, which is feel good. We also love that charity, but I try to help the charities that are really, they really need help, right? Yeah. Strong, the strong need, but not the, they're challenging, let's say. And so I want my staff to know that this company doesn't just take on the easy things, that we support people through difficult things, that we are a proponent of women and children. And so those two are really, really important to me. And then I've also 
sat on the board of San Diego State for the Entrepreneurship Center for several years. So trying to give a hand back is, is very, very important to me. I don't have time to do that right now, but I hope I will get back into the flow yeah. of that again. Uh, I think it's amazing that you do that. And especially those two causes in particular, I think it's so important. And yes, sure, you would like to be contributor to the the feel-good charities and the children, absolutely. But I think these causes in particular that you chose, not that they're in need of it more than the other, but it's, I think it carries a little bit more weight and it, it holds a little bit more importance in terms of helping those charities out. So I think it's incredible what you're doing. I truly... It's amazing, really. I, I think more I, companies need to get on board with doing stuff like that. And so do you, when you choose, so you've worked with these two, but do you alternate, like when you were in more involved in that, do you alternate the charities every year or every couple of years? Or do you pick, like, how do you decide which charities you're going to work with? Well, the two I mentioned are the two I've been supporting the longest. Okay. And, and then I'll support ancillary things by right. you know, attending dinners or yeah. events or going to their special charity event and bidding on the high dollar thing and and maybe giving it to one of my employees. Right. So I think I always try to stay true to my two important ones. And then I rotate new ones in as I can, but they're always San Diego based. Yeah. And, and they always tend to be somewhat challenging and supporting women in different situations. Well, I think it's beautiful. Kudos to you for doing that. Truly. It's amazing. You should be commended for that. When we're in a position where we can contribute and help, I think it's our responsibility to do that. Well, purpose-driven companies are more successful when people see that the leadership has a heart and they care. And it's not just all about, you know, a fancy car and taking trips. And I think that my employees see how dedicated I am to many different ways of being involved. Yeah. And so that helps humanize me as a leader too. For sure. Absolutely. Which is important. Absolutely. Well, kudos to you for doing it. I think it's incredible. Tamara, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Well, for sure, you know, the brand development is something that's really unique. I would say I come at running a design firm in such a different way than most other design firm owners have gone to design school and worked their way up under another designer and spent 10 years in a firm before they decided to try and open their own firm. Right. And so they have, you know, real, I call it butt in the seat. (laughs) (laughs) They really, you know, come up the the long way. Yeah. And I have a lot of respect for that, but I came in the side door (laughs) with a lot of business skills and marketing skills and branding skills that helped me to work with and address clients and issues that a lot of other designers just don't have the skill sets to to do. And then the way I run my business is different too, because I run it as if I started it as if I was my own client. Okay. What would I want if I was hiring a designer? And, and so I I hadn't learned the good old way of doing it, you know, the typical way. And so I just had a completely fresh perspective. Now I have since, because I work in a large industry had to acclimate, to everybody else. Right. But I still have very unique processes and procedures that I think my clients really appreciate. Which is great because that's still staying true to who you are as a designer, a business owner, all of that too. You're still staying in your roots. 
Yes. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? For me, it's, it's the give back and the hand back to help others up. So when I got to a place where I stopped feeling like I was faking it till I made it, you know, fake it till you make it mentality. I think I had that for the good first four or five years of my business. Like I was really in learning mode and trying to figure it all out. And somewhere along the line that shifted. And I don't know exactly when it happened, but it was like, looking back, I could go, Oh yeah, I don't feel like, (laughs) don't feel like that anymore. (laughs) I felt like I had enough experience and leadership skills and business skills and everything kind of combined that I had innate confidence. And then to build on that, I was able to start to help others come up. And I think that that just instills even more power in you as a leader and as a business owner to be able to, to help others. And it helps me relearn skills again that I forget along the way too. So for sure, for me, it's giving a hand up to others. Love it. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I'm going to give you a quick answer and then I'm going to give you something that could turn into a long answer, but we'll need another podcast to talk about it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) The quick answer is my mom, who never had a job in her life, but ran a family and household and supported Which is a big job in itself. Yeah. Her advice to me was collect people along the way. And really that meant pay attention to everybody in your orbit because you never know who's going to be important, vital, give you referrals to the most important person in the room. And so, and really that helped me to pay attention to everyone. You know, the person who holds the door for me, the lady who gets my iced tea in the morning, you know, I really try to get to know people and honor people and ask them how they're doing. And I don't just gloss over personal relationships because I have had the cleaning lady in a building introduce me to the CEO, her son of a big company. And that person for many could have been easy to overlook. For sure. And so it's a really important lesson to pay attention and to honor people that you meet along the way. Um, I love that. Collect people. Yeah, I love it. That is so brilliant. And it's so true because you never know who that person knows. You have no idea how important exactly. or integral they could be for you somewhere down the road or how important you could be to them. Right. Exactly. I mean, lessons come in the strangest boxes sometimes. Yes, for sure. And, and certainly I have learned some really important lessons from people that I never would have imagined would have taught me that thing. There you go. There you go. So that is my quick answer. And then (laughs) my quick answer that could turn into a much longer (laughs) is during that time frame I told you where I took a couple of years off work, I challenged myself to have a year of yeses. Okay. So Everything that someone asked me to do or invited me to or anything, I said yes to. Now, I did not want to at least 50% of the time, right? But that year of yes opened so many doors for me and I was busy, but I wasn't over busy. Like people would go, oh my God, you never have the chance to get anything done. 
That's not true. I actually took on new hobbies. I learned things I never would have learned. I met people I never would have met. It was a really, really invigorating time of my life. I'm so glad I did it because I taught myself that there's so many gifts again out there that come in strange packages. Yeah. Good for you. It's so funny you say that because someone, I was speaking with someone about this just the other day and they said, try it even for a week. Just say yes to every opportunity that comes your way. You have no idea how much that will add to your life and what can happen out of that, what can result out of that. So even just try a week of saying yes to everything. It, it, that's so funny that you say that. <laughs> and you did it for a year. I really recommend it. I, I think just catching yourself saying, I'm busy or I'm this yeah. or I'm that. That's a way of saying no or yeah. diminishing the invitation. So you just have to catch yourself and say, Yes, and put it on your calendar and then do it. That's it. <laughs> That's well, you're pushing yourself part. out of your comfort zone. You're stretching yourself too by doing that, which is great. Because again, as we all know, nothing grows in a comfort zone. So push yourself, grow, expand, stretch yourself. That's a brilliant way to do it. 100%. Who in your life, Tamara, has had the biggest impact on you and why? Mm-hmm. I would probably say, well, it would be easy to say people like, my family. And, but I'm going to say that it's not a who it's a, it's a what okay. animals in my life had have, have had a really huge effect on the way that I communicate. And I ask animals to do things. I don't order them to do things. I don't yeah. tell them to do things. I try to honor who they are as animals and and I create the opportunity for them to be successful with me. And I, love I have had some beautiful animal human relationships. Yeah. I actually probably learned the most in my life by taking on horseback riding at the age of 39. I'd never even been on a horse. Wow. And within a couple of years, I was jumping the horse over, you know, fences. Amazing. So I truly took on a huge challenge. And I learned a lot about honoring horses and, and their signals and their needs. And, and that definitely changed my life. They are truly beautiful and majestic animals. Horses are incredible. I mean, all animals are beautiful. I have, I love dogs. I absolutely love dogs. And I think that they are one of the only creatures on the face of the earth capable of 100% unconditional love. And being in the moment. Yeah. Right. That's the thing that animals can teach us more than yeah, anything. Is absolutely. They don't plan for later or nope. about the past. <laughs> they truly are present 100% yes. in the moment. Yeah. And in order to work with a really large animal like a horse, yeah. you have to be in the moment with them. Yes. And, and leave your baggage aside. And That's so it. that actually translated to a habit that we have here in my office, which when I hire someone new onto the team, one of Mm -hmm. the first things I talk with them about is that when you walk through the door here at the office, it's time to make an adjustment and leave whatever it is that's, you know, your personal world outside the door and walk through with a smile and greet your coworkers. And this is a new fresh start. And I want you to treat it as such. And that's created a really beautiful culture within my office too. I think that's great. We need to do that. You're there to work and you're there to, to foster those relationships. 
Absolutely. When you when you come in bringing all your baggage with you, it just it brings down the energy and the vibe of the whole place. And there's no need for that. You can have Absolutely. you're you're there to work, yes, but you can have fun at work too. It's okay to have fun as long as the work gets done. Well, I want both. I mean, my yeah, God, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, I work really hard at creating an environment that is inviting and supportive and fun to be yeah. in because I'm a fun person and I want to. <laughs> there have fun you go. At work. <laughs> And if somebody takes that away from me and makes my work drudgery, then we're not a good fit. No, exactly. But I will say that it does create in this environment where people want to work from home and that's become a big request. The uniqueness of my team and the culture that we've created is that they've been requesting, can they please come into the office? (laughs) That's amazing. I take that as a huge compliment. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Absolutely. They want to be around the office and be around and part of the culture that you've created and built. That's incredible. That speaks volumes about who you are as a leader and a boss. I think it's amazing. Thank you. Tamara, what does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, I'm going to circle back around to the question where where we talked about the strength that you get from really taking your time to learn the skill set and then leaving the fake it to you make it mindset aside and then utilizing that power to give a hand back to someone. To me, that's a current that's going to run through everything in my life is what can I do to help others? to succeed because truly, as I said, I believe in feng shui. I believe in karma. I'm all about what you put out, you get back. And so for me, I, I walk the walk and talk the talk when it comes to that. I think that that mentality and that way of thinking has really started to come in for a lot more people. More people are waking up to that mentality and that way of thinking. And you know, it's so important, especially in business. I mean, don't go in with the mindset of what can I get out of this? What do I, I need this. I need that. You, What can I do to help you? That's the way to go about it. And I think more people are getting on board with that way of thinking, which I think is brilliant and it's great and it's needed. We just need to get more people. And the more people we get on board with it, we create this huge sense of community, which is where everybody wins. Everybody grows, everybody fosters, like everything. You cannot lose with community. And it's so important. I agree with you a thousand percent. And it's what I try to build into every one of my projects too. Like how do we create this cultural connection in the office, whether you have three employees, 30 or 300 or 3000, it comes from the top down. And so there are some companies that I'm going to be able to help affect that change. And that makes me so proud when I'm able to do that. And they give me the ability to help them to that degree. And then there's others that's, you know, I'm just just, there for a functional job. Yeah, they just, they don't get it. it Yeah, exactly. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word, one word type answers. Okay. What was your dream job as a child? I wanted to be archaeologist and work in Egypt, like wow. in the tombs with the mummies and to wow. really be able to read hieroglyphics. I was really into ancient cultures. and Interesting. How would you describe yourself in one word? Sparkly. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Bring wine. this is great if you're writing your autobiography what would the title be 
probably how saying yes to opportunities changed my life. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? Have more fun. That's an important one for sure. We take life, so many people take life so damn seriously. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Well, I like acceptance and open-mindedness. I think that's really important when you're working with a creative person. So that would be my my number one. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? Uh, Being less judgmental. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. (laughs) What is one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you started out your entrepreneurial journey? I wish I would have paid more attention to staying in touch with all the people that I have done business with or worked along the way with. It's really hard to do it all when you're running a business. And that's one of the things that I kind of let drop away just because I didn't have enough time to do it. And I wish I still had that Rolodex of all of those contacts and people that I, I would have liked to stay in better contact with. So I'm working on that now, actually trying to create more of a mailing list and, you know, the stay in touch things now that I can afford to hire help to do that. (laughs) I'm not doing it all myself. (laughs) What do you do to keep yourself inspired every day and to inspire others? I read a lot and I travel a lot. So I have subscriptions to many newspapers and magazines, blogs and podcasts, and I take little bits of inspiration from everywhere. I read the New York Times style section. I highly recommend it. I think it's really wonderful. They do a lot of cool design pieces. So reading and traveling. I mean, for me, when I work with a client, whether it's their home, their office, their warehouse, I often am drawing from ideas that I saw on the roof deck in Mexico or in a cafe in Paris or in a hotel lobby in New York. And so those elements are all just kind of up here. And so I I see it as like a, a walking collection of inspiration, really. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman any woman in the world, who would it be and why? This is so easy. <laughs> my, <laughs> my person would definitely be Oprah. I knew it. I, as soon as you said, this is so easy, I knew you were going to say Oprah. <laughs> I, I'm a long time Oprah fan since yeah. the 80s. I think she's so wonderful and magnanimous and charitable. And she uses her superpower for the best good causes And um, she has brought up so many people along the way, Dr. Phil and all these other people that now have Tyler Perry that are all successes. And um, I just think she's spectacular. She is. From where she came from to where she is now is a true success story. Like it's, it's so inspirational. Absolutely. Yeah. If you know her, I would love to, would love an I, I would love to have her on the show. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> so I will keep you in mind when I do get that interview. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I putting guess. it out there right now. As we talk, I'm going to have Oprah on the show. <laughs> okay. Tamara, what is your why? I think my why has changed a lot along the way. For sure. I've stayed true to helping people achieve their biggest and best goals through creating environments that 
inspire, that are welcoming, that are functionally wonderful. And I feel like I'm doing my part in helping those businesses be successful and hopefully adding my own special touch of how to create something unique in their space. So for me, the why is just helping people achieve their goals through my unique skill set. Again, giving back. That's everything, right? Yeah. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, Do it sooner. Don't be afraid. You know, start going to the women's meetings when you're in your 20s, early 20s. Don't wait until you're in your late 30s. You know, I felt like I didn't have enough to offer. I was just little old me. And, you know, I didn't feel that I could really gain anything by being a part of more women's groups and leadership groups at that age. And I wish I would have had a a faster start. I could have been farther along my journey. And so I do make up for that now by trying to do a lot of of those things, but I always wish I could do more. There's like so many worthwhile groups and so many wonderful charities and so many amazing people in San Diego and abroad to meet. And I, I wish I had time to do it all. (laughs) You do what you can though, right? That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Lastly, Tamara, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, like your world, your people, your tribe, your, your ladies, your women, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What, what would you say? What words of wisdom would you impart? Don't be afraid to take risks. Imagine yourself as you truly want to be five, 10 and 20 years from now, and then begin being that today whether that means you start wearing a different kind of outfit or you start expressing yourself a different way or you read a different kind of book or watch a different kind of television program. You need to start building that person you want to be as quickly and as soon as possible. And don't wait because every day is an opportunity. Beautifully said. Tamara, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here today. It has been an absolutely enlightening, inspirational. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. You are an incredibly beautiful human being, soul and woman. So inspirational. I, I just, I am so honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. And I appreciate you taking the time and making the time to be here today to share a bit about your journey and your story with us. It's been a complete honor. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast today. My guest has been Tamara Romeo. She is the owner and founder of San Diego Office Design. Thanks so much, Tamara. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.